This is our third night in this series, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's been it's been great for just sort of getting a hold of what is it about the four Gospels? Why do we need four? What do each of those four have? Why, why is there something different about them? As we went through two weeks ago, we looked at the Gospel of Matthew and we talked about how Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one. Uh, right from the beginning, as we read all through the Old Testament, we continue to see that Jesus was always coming, that there was this promised Messiah. And so it was written to a Jewish audience who were awaiting this Messiah. As we looked at Mark um, last week, we learned things like it was the, um, more than likely the first gospel that was written and that it was there for uh, Matthew and, and also Luke, that they would have had this alongside them. And as we land in, in Luke this, tonight, I have to say this is, I don't know if you guys have got a favourite gospel, but I've definitely got a favourite gospel and it's the gospel of Luke. They're all, they're all wonderful, but I feel like it's just the place that I tend to go to. If I'm looking for something about, something from one of the gospels, I, I tend to go to Luke. Um, and I think possibly a big part of that is Luke 24 is one of my cha- favourite chapters in the entire scriptures. When Jesus walked along the road to Emmaus and he had the two disciples there and he says that line in there about that all of the scriptures are about me. He just points out to them, he shows them how um, all the way through all of these scriptures, everything from, from Genesis um, right through to, to, through to Malachi, when we look at all of these Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament books, they were always all about Jesus. Now, uh, the author of this one, similar to Matthew and, and Mark, the author is Luke. And uh, something about Luke is that he was um, supposed to be a doctor, he was known as a doctor. And uh, he also wrote the book of Acts, so that's good to know as well. So there's a continuation if you were looking at reading a gospel and then onto the book of Acts. Um, Luke can be a good one to read through and then on into the book of Acts. And uh, it's also sort of pointed out that with Luke's writing, it's more focused at writing to one person, Theophilus. And uh, whereas we looked at Matthew and Mark being written to an audience, uh, Luke is directing his writing towards um, this fellow uh, believer or if not a believer, he was certainly writing it to tell him and inform him of, of the one true God uh, and to inform him of, of the identity of who Jesus was. So um, as we get into it tonight, I think I love this one as well because the title of tonight's sermon is Friend of Sinners. That this is what something that is so clearly shown in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is a friend to sinners. Um, so we're going to look at that tonight. If you've got... Um, a Bible with you on your phone or with you, if you can have uh, uh, chapter 5 of Luke open and ready, um, that's where we will be mostly spending our time this evening. But before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word t- tonight. Uh, Lord, you are so good. I thank you for what's taken place in this room already tonight, that you have been glorified, Lord. You've been glorified through song, as we've sung about you, as we've declared wonderful things about you and who you are to us. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the goodness of the gospel as we came around communion. Lord, that we can have our hearts set back upon the foundational truths that we just need day in, day out. Lord, I thank you that the, when it comes to the gospel, that we cannot get enough of this message of grace given to us through Jesus, um, that this is a daily must for our lives, Lord, that we operate daily out of the gospel. And Lord, tonight as we come to your word, as we come to the gospel of Luke, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. Um, There might be many distractions for us right now. 
depending on what our weeks were like, depending on what comes next when we leave this room, depending on what our day looks like tomorrow. Uh, being fallen people, fallen creatures, Lord, it's hard sometimes for our minds to focus. And so we tend to jump around in our thoughts. So, Lord, I pray two things. Firstly, I pray, Lord, that you would settle us this evening. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our minds, in our hearts, just to be fixed upon what you might want to say to us tonight, Lord. Um, Lord, even if people aren't connecting with what I'm saying or how I'm presenting, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word to us this evening. And Lord, for me, I pray that you would help me to speak with clarity, to declare your word to us, that we might know you, that we might be changed as a result. I pray this, that you would do this work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's a couple of, couple of scriptures we could spend a lot of time. We don't have enough time uh, to go through all the scriptures I would love to about how the Gospel of Luke shows us that Jesus is a friend of sinners. But we are going to have a look at a couple of key verses from this. Uh, first up, I'm going to get Nathan to read one of them for me. He has a microphone that we prepared earlier. Uh, he's reading chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. On? Is it on? Yes, it's on now. you're on. Great. Good. All right. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. All right, so already we're having a look at this straight into the, the kind of core of the message this evening that when we look at these, um, what, we would do, what the scriptures are calling sinners, tax collectors and sinners, when it came to them and Jesus, what were they doing? They weren't running away from him, but it says that they were drawing near to him. So here is Jesus, perfect in every way. And there's something to observe here that sinners, people who are considered no good, tax collectors, the bottom, uh, the outcasts of society, here they are, they see this perfect Jesus and they go to him, not away from him. And then what happens is those who thought that they were righteous, the Pharisees, that felt that they were living by God's standards and laws, they look upon this and they start grumbling. Why is he eating and why is he receiving? Why is he eating with them? Why is he receiving sinners uh, and tax collectors? Um, you don't have to turn here, but from chapter 7, verse 34, here's another statement that's getting made about the nature of Jesus being with these types of people. It says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say... So he's referring again to these Pharisees, these people who are religious and feel that they're righteous in every way. And he says, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here's Jesus, King of Kings, perfect, never sinned once. But because he's even just associating with these types of people, people are grumbling and they're calling him a glutton and a drunkard. Um, I'm not going to read these next two stories, but... There are um, something, if, you, if, you've, if you're writing, chapter 7, verse 36 talks about uh, a, a sinful woman being forgiven. Uh, chapter 19, 1 through to 10, tells the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, another guy who was considered an outcast of society, a guy who, when the crowds gathered around Jesus, this guy climbed up a tree so he could get a better look and, and he wanted to get close to Jesus. And Jesus in this story turns to Zacchaeus and says, hey, I'm coming to your place tonight. Out of all the people that are there, he picks this guy who's considered outcast and he says, I'm coming home to have dinner with you in this story. 
And then the main text that we're going to focus on this evening is going to be from chapter 5, verse 27 to 32, and Molly's going to read this one for us. Thanks, Molly. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector sitting at his place for collecting taxes. His name was Levi. Jesus said, follow me. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave a big dinner at his house for Jesus. At the table, there were many tax collectors and other people too. The Pharisees and those who taught the law began to complain to the followers of Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and other sinners? Jesus answered them, it is the sick people who need a doctor, not those who are healthy. I have not come to ask good people to change. I have come to ask sinners to change the way they live. Amen. So here's this situation. Jesus walks past Levi, a tax collector and a sinner, somebody that people in their society would have seen and and wanted to avoid, and Jesus chooses him. Jesus says, follow me. Now, something that we should point out about the following bit where he does get up and and follow Jesus is that this is uh, talking about the work of God in this man's life already. The fact that he would leave his tax booth and just get up and follow Jesus God is at work in this, in this man's life. And so Jesus goes and has a feast where it's full of tax collectors and sinners. Now, this isn't a place where if you considered yourself holy and righteous and that you had it all together, this isn't the sort of dinner party you're trying to get to. Uh, you would not associate with these types of people. And here goes Jesus, and he goes to these people, and he is calling them to himself. And this conversation starts to take place. Again, the Pharisees grumbling. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. If you're well, you don't decide to book yourself in for an appointment. I mean, maybe some of you do. Um, It's just generally not the normal thing. When you are unwell, you go and see a doctor. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. This is for those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus' statements here are confronting. When I think about times where I've had conversations with non-Christians, if we went out um, tomorrow and did a bit of a survey and just asked people around the Forest Lake community and said, uh, would you consider yourself a good person? the majority of the answers that we would get back would be something like, well, I'm not perfect, but yeah, I, am, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I try my best. Um, they would have some sort of qualifying statement where they would look upon themselves and be able to think, God should accept me. I should be okay because I've done X, Y, Z, or I've done these things, or I've, I've done enough. Surely God would accept me. But this is not what Jesus is saying here. You can't come to Jesus thinking that you have it all sorted. You don't need a saviour if you think you are righteous in and of yourself. I was talking with a guy at work last week, and uh, I don't know if you ever, any of you have seen the movie Crocodile Dundee. It's kind of old. It's, it's good. You should have a look at it. Mark's seen it, definitely. Yeah, it's awesome. So there you go. Recommendation, if you haven't seen it. But there's a statement in it. And, and as we are talking... Um, I remember this guy, I've worked with him for, for many years uh, and he's recently come along and started working in the organisation again. And as we were chatting, I remember that he used to go to a kind of Bible thing for a, for a number of weeks, years and years ago. 
And so I had an opportunity where I was sitting there, I was talking with him, and I said, hey man, how you, I remember like years ago, you went to like a bit of a Bible kind of thing where you'd get with a couple of guys and talk about stuff, and he said, oh yeah, that's right, I did go along for a little bit, and nothing sort of really eventuated from the conversation, it sort of diverted into something else, and I tried to bring it back over there again, and, and I said something to him, I said, so what would you say today, like you had a little bit of kind of hearing about God and the Bible in those times, um, what, what would you say about that today? You, um, and so, kind of just opened up a massive conversation as we're there on our lunch break. Um, and it was awesome. But he gave this statement and he said, it's a bit like, you know, uh, from Crocodile Dundee. Me and God, we be mates. That was his statement. It, when he thought, if all, because I talked about, you know, we will give an account for our life one day. And for me, that's kind of scary thinking about, you know, I know that there's a lot about me that's not right and, and God's... God's perfect, and we we're getting into the conversation. But he used this statement, me and God, we be mates. And now that's, you could, you could pretty much put that across society. People would say, you know, if there's a God out there, he'd be all right with me. I'm not too bad. I've done all right. But you can't come to God thinking that you have it all together. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And see, here lies the issue is that it is always an issue of the heart. Just because you're able to do some good things, that doesn't change anything about the problem of sin that we all have. We are all in the same predicament, that we all have this sin issue that has created a barrier between us and God. And it's not a sin that's out there, but it's a sin that's in the human heart. It's a sin that we all have. And we are not mates with God just because we give it a crack. We're not mates with God just because we have a have a good go at trying to get it right most of the time. We need a saviour. And to be a Christian means that you have come to a point in your life where you recognised, I can't do this on my own. I need a saviour. I need a help outside of myself. I'm reminded of the statement that Martin Luther said about society is curved in upon itself. It's so inward looking and that's the same. That's, that's us. We... Instead of looking outside of ourselves, we look in for answers. And our modern um, contemporary teaching continues to teach us and say to us, dig deep, you've got the answers inside you. But the reality, as we dig deep, we find more sin. We find something that we need help with. When I was, ex- I was having a conversation with someone recently about sin, and... Uh, when I was younger, I thought I had a couple of sins to, that maybe God could deal with. But, you know, if I can just get God to kind of help me with a couple of these, I think I'll be doing pretty sweet. But what I found about sin is, I don't know if you've ever sat on the lawn and started pulling up some grass. And uh, what you found, though, was there's this type of grass that's connected to more and more. And as you keep pulling, it sort of keeps coming up all over the place. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That sort of thing? Well, that's what it's like as I started to dig, as I got, start getting a bit older, I start finding more and more about myself and I'm like, I need a saviour so much. More, the more I come to know about God, the more I come to know about myself and the more I wake up in the morning and go, I need help. I need help, Lord. I need help with my sin. It's only through Jesus that I'm made righteous. It's only by his blood at the cross that I'm called into his family. And of course, there's good news because God does a work in sinners and he changes us. 
So there's a few things for us tonight as we come to this passage about, about Jesus being a friend of sinners. Um, the first thing I want to say is when we think about this Jesus going to sinners, there's something that can happen for us in our, in our thinking about it. And if you're like me, one of the first places I go is, where are some sinners that I might need to go to? Maybe it'll be uncomfortable or maybe God's going to call me to go and, um, and I, can, I can be brave and I can go out to, to some, I haven't met any tax collectors necessarily, but to go to these people. I remember a Christian artist that I used to listen to and um, I'm going to use this as an example, hopefully it's helpful. This Christian artist, when he first came out with his first music, it was very, very Jesus-centered in the fact that he was always talking. You could always hear, if you, if you listened to it, you knew this guy was a Christian. Over time, the Jesus message got less and less. He still considered himself a Christian. Now, naturally, when this sort of thing happens, the old fans start getting a bit cranky because they're like, I liked him better on his first album. That's always a, a common statement. But they would look at it and go, where's, where's the Jesus in, in the song content? And his response was, I'm, going, I'm out there now going to the sinners. I'm eating, I'm dining with tax collectors. And then he kind of pointed the finger back saying, and, and you're like the Pharisees, right? Because you're criticizing me now that I'm out here going to these people. Now, there might be some truth in that. And I don't want to get into Christian music debates. There might be some truth to that. But I think if that's the first place we go to, we're missing something that is so, so fundamental. Before we even get to that place of us going to somebody else to be like Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus is our friend because we are sinners. We have to go there first. We have to recognize when we're talking about Jesus is a friend of sinners, that he is our friend that we can call upon. Because if we don't get that place, if we don't get that right, it can be very easy for us to have this do-gooder approach to going to people who are broken. This approach where we go out there as the ones who have got it all together, the Christians who are righteous, and we're going to go and help these miserable sinners. We need to see ourselves in that place first. And that can always be a, a confronting thing, to, to see us in that place first. So that's the first question for us tonight. Have we come to Jesus knowing of our state, knowing of our brokenness? As a Christian, there's a statement that I love so much. We are nothing more than one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. I love that statement so much. We're not the mighty ones with it all sorted out, but we're one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. So rather than a standing over and a, a, a helping a person and saying, look, I've got, it, I've got it sorted, let me help you out now, it's a, hey, I understand. Let me get alongside you. I need a saviour as well. This is something that for me was, has been quite a part of the conversation for me as a youth worker. When I came up kind of through the ranks um, doing youth work, a lot of the conversation early on in the piece was always about building the self-esteem of a young person. And that was, that was where all the teaching was. Um, society previous had kind of raised kids telling them that they were rubbish. That wasn't good either. But then they pendulum swing across to another side and they go, we've just got to make them feel awesome, special, wonderful and 
perfect. And then over time, all the conversations from psychologists and, and therapists are saying, yeah, that didn't work out so, so good either. Because now we've got this kind of mentality where we're saying to everybody, you're fine just the way you are. And so for me as a youth worker, how could I approach this going, how am I going to tell a young person that they're awesome and perfect just the way they are, but then also say, oh, and by the way, you kind of need a, need a saviour. Can you see the conflicting message that we're trying to give? And so it wasn't to go into my workplace then and, and tell people how terrible they were, but to model brokenness, to model my own need for a saviour, to be able to say to them, hey, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does, and his name is Jesus. You want to follow him with me? Because I've found out some wonderful things about who he is. And I'd love you to come on that journey with me and find out about this wonderful, wonderful saviour. My question tonight, first of all, is do you know him? I give that question out a lot or I give opportunities to reflect on that. Somebody said to me once, Warren, I think you're preaching to the converted. I was just sharing a gospel message as a part of a sermon. Someone said, I think you're preaching to the converted. Looking around, I think they're all Christians. We should never be in that place of thinking that we are all sweet and all sorted. The Bible teaches us, like Chris focused on tonight, to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I in the faith? That is good for us. That is good for our soul to be able to ask the question, do I know him? Not just know about him, but do I know him? This is so, so foundational and necessary. And see, when we've got that in place, then we can look at the example of Jesus and we go, how can I help another person find this saviour as well? So how did Jesus go to sinners? Here's a couple of, I'm going to finish with three points tonight. I've got three things to, to bring it home with. The first one is this. Jesus is going to people who know they are not right. There is a pattern where when Jesus talks to somebody and he, it's like you can see it through the text that it seems as if God is doing this work in this person's life, that the person is realizing, oh wow, this is like for real, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah. And their first response is that they, Lord, I am not worthy. We read that in scripture so much. So it's that identifying like, oh, you know, seeing yourself in the mirror and like realizing how dirty you are, right? This is the same as the people that Jesus encounters. They say, Lord, please go away from me. I'm not, I am not worthy. So there is this pattern where Jesus is doing this and these people are recognizing their need for his grace and they are looking outside of themselves. They haven't met Jesus and they've said, great, if I, can I, Jesus, have you got a five-step plan for getting me through the week? Have you got a five-step plan for me to be a better follower? They recognize they just need, they need him. And for me, my hand is raised with that. Um, I see Paul in the scriptures doing the same thing. He calls himself the chief of sinners. If we're going to talk about sinners, he puts his hand up. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament saying, yep, I'll be first in line. It's the chief of sinners. So we need to know that we're not right. And then we're in the right place for understanding why Jesus came. The second point is that Jesus went with good news for sinners. So this going to them isn't with a big stick to beat them down and make them feel terrible about their sins. They know they're not right. I remember this when I was in the youth detention centre. 
um, I've, when I've shared the gospel in different situations, one place that I often find where heads start nodding when I talk about sin is in the youth detention centre. Because they know it. They know what they've done. Their sin is before them. They're in that place because they, they know that they need help. But there is a message that Jesus brings, a message of hope, a message that you can change, that your sins can not only be forgiven, but that you will no longer be, a, be mastered by sin. I want that to be an encouragement to you tonight, that the stuff that you're wrestling through in your private life, the stuff that you know when it comes to you and God, God keeps telling you about those things. I want you to know tonight that Jesus is faithful. He finishes the work that he started in you. There is good news for you. Those sins are no longer your master. Continue to come to him. Continue to come to your brothers and sisters. Sharing, being vulnerable, not hiding those things, but finding a safe place and asking somebody to be able to walk alongside you and pray about those things to help you keep accountable Real change happens in the kingdom of God. When we go to a party, and this is the same thing here, when Jesus goes to these parties, it's important for us to point out, Jesus is not just going to kick it with the homies. <laughs> He's not just going to hang out and party on with everybody. So we need to also understand that going to those who are in need is not about conforming to them. But we have something that is so wonderful. We have life itself in Jesus. So when we go to that party, when we go to that place, we're not trying to fit in. And hopefully they'll accept us and I can be one of the group. No, Jesus does so much better than that. He has so much better than just trying to fit in with a group of people. He wants to send us as a light to those places. Think about this one story about this guy in a, in a workplace where every lunchtime he said the conversations broke out and it was usually degrading of women, vulgar, and would often even get to places of showing pornographic images in the workroom. And at that point, this guy wouldn't speak about it, but he would just get up, quietly pack up his stuff, and he would leave the room at that point. And sure, they made some jokes. Oh, so-and-so, he's a bit of a prude, this and that. They had all their comments. But then one day, one of the guys followed him out of there. And he said to him, how come you always, what's, what's the go with you, you, you? When this kind of goes to this place in the lunchroom, I've noticed that you leave. And the guy was able to turn around to him and say, oh, well, look, the thing is that I'm actually a follower of Jesus. And some of those things don't sit real well with me. I actually really love my wife and so to look at some of that stuff um, doesn't, doesn't sit well with me. And it wasn't a time of judgment or beating that guy, but he had this beautiful opportunity to share the goodness of the gospel, of what Jesus had done in this man's life. And this man went on to continue to learn and become a Christian himself as a result of this man simply getting up and walking out. Jesus went to these parties with good news of a saviour, of himself. He was a light as he went in. Not to conform and simply kick it with him and hang out. He was hope and life as he went.
You don't have to perform and fit in to be a part of Jesus' family. He has done all the work needed for you to belong. Isn't that good? Jesus has done all the work. Coming to church is not about, hopefully I can fit in. You fit in. You belong here. You are Christ's. You belong to him. Third one. I want to say this. Don't write people off. Jesus did it. Look in the scriptures at who he called. He called fishermen that were considered to be um, uneducated. He called tax collectors and sinners, the most hated in society. He turned those guys into his disciples. Tomorrow's future church leaders might be waking up with hangovers, even this weekend. They might be committing crimes that we would just not understand. But Jesus comes along and he calls the most unlikely types to himself. Don't write people off. Jesus didn't. He takes an unlikely type and he turns them into a world changer. That's what these disciples are. That's what these apostles are. These former hated people or fishermen or tax collectors. They changed the world because of what Jesus did in their lives. There's a guy in our morning congregation who's also part of our ministry council, Ken Page. And uh, I've had lunch with him and, and his lovely wife because he has got a history of going into, into prisons. He's done a lot of prison ministry. And for many years, he and his wife had people coming out of prison and, and, and staying. They um, have had a huge ministry to people who have been uh, coming out of prisons. And uh, I was having lunch with him, and he told me about this guy once, that he was a known and convicted criminal in Brisbane, committed some hideous crimes, and... Uh, it's all right, we're at the end. He committed some hideous crimes, and he was locked up. And uh, it's often, often the case that when a Christian is in prison, when, a, when people go in with the good news of the gospel, there are people serving in prisons who are born-again Christians because they've had the opportunity to come to the end of themselves and see and know their sins and hear the gospel and then live out their lives in prison, but as Christians because God has been changing them. Anyway, this one particular man that, that Ken told me of was so bad that um, he'd done some, some hideous stuff, but he became a Christian in prison through a prison ministry. And then Ken got to serve alongside him. Ken got to go and do ministry back into the prison. And apparently he was so bad that as they were walking up, here he is now though, as a Christian, the guards, when they saw him, went for their firearms. Because that's what you did. You went for your weapon if you saw this guy. That's the reputation this guy had. And they were like, whoa, 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 no, it's all right. He's a part of the ministry now. He's coming in and he went in to then preach and share the good news of Jesus with others, other inmates. Again, somebody that you would look at and just go, there is no hope for this guy. He's the worst of the worst of the worst. But when Jesus turns up in somebody's life, he grabs a hold of them. Their sins are forgiven as they repent and turn to him. And then he sends them out to be a world changer to share this good news of this gospel. 
Church, I hope you're encouraged tonight as we look at this message of Jesus is a friend of sinners. That means that we have to recognize our place in that first. To understand it, that Jesus comes to us as a broken sinner, somebody in need of a savior, somebody in need of help outside of ourselves. But then he sends us to this world to be friends to sinners also. I don't know what this week looks like to you, but wherever you're going, there are people who need this good news. There are people desperately needing this good news. I wonder what it looks like for you. Is it a simple conversation, a kind act, just a hello and a smile or something there that starts a conversation and plants a seed for later on? Maybe you'll pray as we, as we do and, and think of that person this week. Lord, I thank you for your gospels that continue to proclaim this, the goodness of Jesus to us. We, we learn so many wonderful truths. I thank you for multiple gospels that continue to give us a different understanding of Jesus or a, a fuller picture of, of who Jesus is. Lord, we recognize that we need you. We know that we're not right and that it's a daily relying on your grace for our sins. So we recognize that before we even look outside, Jesus is our friend. He's a friend of sinners and we're in that category, Lord. But then also, Lord, we are now new creations. We are those who are forgiven and we are being restored and healed for good. Lord, help us to be that beggar showing another beggar where bread is. Wherever we might be heading this week, Lord, help us to look with the eyes of Jesus the same way that when Jesus called people to himself, he called the most unlikely types to himself. I'd say we've got some unlikely types around us this week when we go out. Maybe, you know, even in our own families, Lord, God, help us by your spirit to reach them with the love of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to have the right words. And if we don't have words, let us have some actions to get an opportunity to have words. Help us by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.